When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, but my proudest achievement is owning a dog who likes to sniff her own butt and gets mad at her own reflection. Today we're talking about pets. When did humans decide to own pets? Do we own pets or do pets own us? We're also going to go into depth on animals, coronavirus, and other zoonotic diseases, and how you can protect yourself and your pet. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, should we be making dog arcades? So joining me today to talk about dogs, cats, and the people who love them are veterinarian Dr. Lisa Lipman, comedian Richie Redding, who are a couple, but most importantly, host a podcast together called We Don't Deserve Dogs. Welcome, you guys. Yay. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We're big fans. Huge fans. Such huge fans that we had you on the other week, and it was one of my most favorite episodes. Yes, and your some of your factoids I have uh, I've battered people with at uh, small gatherings. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's I want people to assault other people with knowledge. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Today we're gonna talk all about pets. I think right now people are spending a lot of time with their pets. Hopefully, and I certainly am spending more time with my dog than I ever have. Our Rhodesian Ridgeback Chloe has been thriving in this quarantine she just thinks it's the longest sunday ever (laughs) yeah uh yeah and a lot of people are getting pets too so it's another huge thing that's happening the shelters are clearing out and people are fostering more than ever and so it's yeah so it's a great time it's a boom Mm -hmm. it is interesting because animals have had a long history of helping humans evolve to new situations so like evolve in the sense of like our we're, we're an interesting and unique animal in that our society evolves much 
faster than our actual bodies. And dogs and companion animals have been totally integral in helping our society evolve. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the history of pet ownership. Unfortunately, I'm really only going to cover dogs and cats because that is, we have the most archaeological evidence on dogs and cats, but it is really fascinating. So dogs in particular are of great interest to geneticists, paleontologists, <laughs> uh, paleogenomics, biology, archaeology, and bioarchaeology. So all of these fields are really interested in dogs because they have co-evolved with us over 10,000 years, which is an incredible amount of time. So uh, I don't know, do you guys know much about sort of the history of uh, how we came to consider dogs pets? I mean, I'm sure Lisa has a much better perspective on this, but I mean, I've just, I'm glad that we're doing this because I've always been fascinated by the evolutionary process from what I understand is just basically like, inviting the nicest wolves in close like close to the fire and then <laughs> right. and then you get to a puggle as the yeah. finished product it, that to me is amazing and are they still evolving is my other question oh that's a i mean well we're breeding i mean they're making different breeds all the time i don't really know if we can call that evolution especially when you inter- when you have people interfere right cuz like for example the bulldog the english bulldog would not that is not evolutionarily sound uh, breeding because they wouldn't, they, they deliver most of their puppies by C-section. And so if they had to do that themselves, they would not be able to. So yeah, um, it's artificial selection, yeah. not natural selection. Thank you, Katie. You're welcome, yes. Bulldogs. So, <laughs> 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 I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, some days. So it's, it's a tough one. But um, back to how dogs, no, you know, I, I guess with evolution, Katie, you probably know more about that than I would. So they actually did come from wolves. Uh, and so the idea of like how we first domesticated them is a wolf was thinking like, hey, there's a nice fire. There's scraps by the fire. Maybe I'll be a little bold and go up there and see what's going on. And humans are like, hey, that's interesting. I've never seen a wolf just like kind of come meekly up to this fire. Let's see how this all works out. And at first, we probably regarded these these wolf ancestors to dogs in terms of like what they could do for us. So they could provide us with meat, pelts, and possibly work. But likely over time, this relationship evolved into more of a companionship. So they became pets in that we use them not just for survival purposes, but for companionship and love and and friendship. So how did they provide meat? Were they hunting with the wolves? Well, you're not going to like the answer to this, but uh, we would actually eat the the wolf meat. So we would actually eat these dog ancestors. Uh, But it's it's one of those things that it's probably was kind of a fluid relationship. Sorry, a fluid relationship. So probably we would have them around. Maybe they were good at guarding us. Maybe they were good at helping us hunt. But we would occasionally eat them because when you are in these survival situations, like, hey, you have this animal that is following you around and even if it's it, even if you like it you're still going to eat it if you need need that meat it's precarious for the wolf <laughs> it is precarious but you know they did it must have not happened enough or at least it benefited them enough that they stuck around with us long enough for us to be like hey you know what maybe we should be friends instead <laughs> So they are thought to actually be the first domesticated animal 
from over 15,000 years ago. So they all evolved probably from a common wolf ancestor, which is also the ancestor of modern day wolves. So they didn't evolve from like, say you see a, a wolf today. It's probably from a, a common ancestor that is now presumed to be extinct. So there is some evidence that there were multiple domestication events one study found there being two separate lineage, sorry, lineages of domesticated dogs from Europe and in Asia uh, around 20, 15 to 20,000 years ago. But there's some debate about this because other researchers think there is like a single domestication event that started in ancient Europe or the Middle East, which then spread out to the rest of the world. And we're still trying to figure that out by sequencing this ancient dog and wolf DNA. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Were they, were the ancient wolves bigger? Bigger than dogs? Like bigger than, than, than current wolves? Probably not that much bigger. It's just like they you know, were a different species of animal, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were too morphologically different, but that their DNA has changed enough that the modern day wolves and this ancestor are different enough to be considered different species. Okay. I don't know why. I just think everything that's like an ancient species was just enormous. <laughs> <laughs> well, dire wolves, which were a real wolf and Those it actually lived here. Yeah, and it lived here in... Thrones? Exactly. Lived here in North America. In fact, in the tar pits in LA, we've got a bunch of direwolf skulls, just like a whole mess of them because a bunch of direwolves got stuck in these tar pits. And now we have their skulls and we put them on display. And they aren't Game of Thrones style gigantic. They were a little bigger than modern day wolves and a little, little like, um, a little more robust in certain ways, but they weren't like giant like in Game of Thrones, unfortunately. And you didn't have mind control over them necessarily? Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> we don't know. Maybe they did. Mm -hmm. So it's still like a, a not known exactly when we started domesticating wolves. But the, it's, it's, the more evidence comes in, the earlier it seems to be than we previously thought. So recently there was a canine skull, which is thought to be one of the early ancestors of modern day dogs, that was discovered in a cave in Belgium from over 32,000 years ago, Crazy. which is evidence of an even earlier domestication than we had previously estimated. I think it speaks to the human-animal bond because we've, I mean, people have loved them for as long as uh, we've known. So I think that makes a lot of sense. With the caveat that they might have eaten them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they may have eaten us too. snacking. I'm sure. Want to play fetch? They probably, and maybe they probably grabbed a baby or two in their day too, you know? You never know. Uh, exactly. You yeah. know, we ate them sometimes. Maybe they ate one of our babies yeah. and then we're like, hey, you know, like, let's 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 talk about this like adult dogs and humans. <laughs> let's work this out. Call a truce. <laughs> <laughs> Call a truce. So current estimates of when the domesticated dog started to split from its wolf-like ancestor is now around 27 to 40,000 years ago. And there's a lot of new genetic evidence coming in. They're sequencing these genomes and trying to place like when it's happened. But that's currently, and which is a, a lot, it's a wide range, but that it's still an incredibly long relationship that we've had with dogs. So one thing I was curious about is like when 
dogs went from being a domesticated animal to a pet like like that shift in our relationship with the dog because at first it may have been kind of a practical working relationship the the uh, early dogs were able to get food and shelter from us we got basically work and sometimes meat and sometimes pelts but other practical things hunting help they helped us with hunting as well but like when we started to actually care about them and consider them different from other animals i think is a really interesting question yeah i mean that's it's definitely an inflection point in the relationship right when you go from wanting to seeing each other as a snack as seeing each other as like a snack in the good way is it a good thing now yeah, saying I, someone's a snack. Yeah, I think on Instagram, <laughs> somebody's a snack. It's uh, that's what you want. <laughs> she tasted. <it>. Yeah, <laughs> I do wonder sometimes because, like, I will always tell my dog, like, I'm gonna eat you, and chase around, and like, I'm going to eat you, and then she like chews on chews on my hand sometimes, and I wonder if there's still some of the this like latent desire to like eat each other oh well somehow, i have enough. strong feelings about that for sure because chloe will nibble like if chloe gets excited to see me or she starts like lick me and then she gets really excited she will nibble my mouth or my nose mm. like she she does she's like chom 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 and then mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so i'm positive that like if i were to pass away that she would eat me yeah. because that's how they yeah. say that it starts you know is they like lick you they yes. try to and then they get overstimulated and then they just get mm-hmm. like overstimulated and, and eat you. So I'm pretty confident. Yeah. That but I feel like you're me. also all about that. Like, like your living will should probably be and my carcass goes to Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's worse ways to go. I don't know if that's what she wants but, to do. That's fine with me. Katie, doesn't Cookie <laughs> nibble your feet? Well, she bites her feet. She gets angry at her feet. I wouldn't call it a nibble. <laughs> I'd call it an actual bite because yeah. she she <laughs> hates feet. Different. She is angry, <laughs> angry at feet. So she'll, she'll nip it's at angry your feet hippo. in anger. I, I don't think she realizes that they're attached to a person. She's just like, what are these animals? And then suddenly uh, she's, she's attacking. What are these yeah. animals? <laughs> these strange creatures. But yeah, so it, it is it is an interesting transition from when we maybe consider dogs as like, these are these strange beasts that kind of help us around. But, you know, we're just we're just cautiously using them to help us survive to us actually loving them and doting on them. So um, it's hard to say like when we exactly made that distinction and we could have even cared about them even if we did eat them. Like there there could have been something where we loved them but occasionally had to eat them because, you yeah, know, just in ancient times. Tears in yeah. your wolf stew. <laughs> I think that's probably part of the reason that our relationship with dogs changed is that it's hard to spend so much time socializing with an animal and then make that transition to like, well, you're a burger now. Yeah. So like about 12,000 years ago, there's evidence of dog and cat burial rituals. So 12,000 years ago, dogs and cats started to be buried with humans. And we don't really know why, like we don't have any concrete evidence why they were buried with the humans, but it does indicate a special relationship that we had with them. And around 8,000 years ago, humans started burying dogs with special high-value items, which indicates that they that we cared about how these dogs' bodies were handled, and we viewed them as 
as special as is deserving some kind of special ritual and we we don't know like why necessarily we felt that way well that also like the fact that they buried them with uh with some of them were buried with high high valued items and others weren't like even back then dogs could get lucky with who they who picked them or who they picked right like Right. You could you could have be with the the chief of the village or the town drunk even back then. <laughs> I don't know. I think that that's I think that's def- definitely dependent on how much somebody loves their animal. Right. I think it's more dependent on that. I definitely have clients who don't have a ton of money but are willing to spend the money that they have on their pet. And then I have right. very rich clients who will complain about everything. So. Yeah, you don't want to be a cat belonging to an Egyptian pharaoh and then get buried alive with the pharaoh. Yeah, <laughs> that sucked, huh? Yeah, well, and we've I've had some requests like that where people will put in their will that they want their pets to be euthanized and buried with them um, when they die. What? Yeah, oh yeah, I've seen I've seen requests can like that happen that? to other vets. I mean, can they? Yes, we can euthanize anything, but uh, I have no no vet worth their salt who would. Uh, euthanize a perfectly healthy that's animal crazy. so no no vet will oh, do that's that so creepy i mean i think what's interesting is that we not only started pampering dogs but dogs really helped us basically build our human society so there are kind of multiple theories about how dogs and agrarian societies kind of interacted um, like some theories previously were saying like, oh, dogs were domesticated due to farming. But obviously the new evidence suggests that we domesticated dogs way before we started farming because we started farming like 10 to 12,000 years ago. And there is, it's more likely that we already had this relationship with dogs, but as we started to farm, we, our relationships with dogs started to become even deeper because dogs would help us with farming. So apparently like our habit of farming actually changed dogs DNA. So really? Yes. So we were feeding them starchy table scraps like at least 7,000 years ago. So research into dog DNA shows that dogs started to evolve extra copies of starch digesting genes, which probably helped them digest wheat and millet and other farmed crops that they were getting fed by ancient farmers. Yeah, the the habit of feeding doggies table scraps that really they shouldn't be having (laughs) is very, very old, a very old habit. Yeah, and that's how they evolved. Maybe that's where they became like the, maybe that's where they became omnivores too, true omnivores, because they are the true omnivore. So are you just helping Chloe evolve every time you eat? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just taking it back to, you know, yeah. You're helping her evolve a a bigger stomach. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Their metabolism and ability to digest these things have dramatically changed from their wolf ancestors. So wolves aren't which, nearly as omnivorous? No, they're more... That's right. Kind of they're right. carnivores. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, strict carnivores. Yeah. This is... Yeah, where we can also talk about raw diets for people who want to feed their dogs raw diets and talk about, you know, their dogs being kind of like wolf-like and stuff like that. So They're not wolves. Which I, they're <laughs> not wolves. They are true omnivores. Um, and raw diets carry increased risk of uh, E. coli salmonella. So it's not something that I am a big advocate of. Yeah, yeah. Cookie is listening to me saying this and she's like slowly approaching and going like, oh, so I can have toast then and spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) Everything in moderation. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. gets one strand of spaghetti every time we have spaghetti. <laughs> That's so And cute. she's got to jump for it. She's got to, like, like I hold up the spaghetti, and then she's got to <laughs> jump, and then she, like, loves to snatch it out of the air. It's really <laughs> great. great. So she's, she's evolved to be able to eat that spaghetti. It's yes. a magnificent evolution that from is. wolf to a tiny 13-pound dog that just launches herself at spaghetti. Absolutely. <laughs> the full arc. <laughs> So evidence shows that early farmers highly valued their dogs. So 9,000 years ago, farmers from the Near East migrated into Europe and Asia, and they brought their dogs with them. So researchers found that the lineage of these farmers' dogs replaced that of the dogs that were originally from those areas. So basically, we found that farmers were like, hey, I need to take our dogs with us because they are, I love them, they're our best friends, and they help us farm. And then those dogs took over these areas where the farmers migrated into. So there are many ways that dogs likely helped with agriculture. There's herding, guarding livestock from predators or other humans, rat catching, and general cuteness, you know. Tummy rubs, never heard a farm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, don't worry, cat owners, I haven't forgotten you. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about our history with cats. Even though it seems like cats have zero interest in helping us, we actually <laughs> have a very mutualistic relationship with cats. So over 5,000 years ago, cats were already helping farmers deal with their rodent problem. So Ancient cat bones in China were examined, and they were found to contain isotopes that were associated with eating rats that had eaten domesticated crops such as millet. Essentially, they are able to find these compounds that were unique to the farmed crops that the rats would eat, and then... When a cat eats the rat, they get some of those in their fossils as well. So we were able to track that these cats ate the rats that ate our crops, wow. which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, that is wild. That is interesting. That just reminds me of uh, a lot of people get worried because of if rats eat rats that ate rat poison and then the cat eats the rat. So what happens then? The truth is it's usually a rat can't eat enough poison to poison a cat. So typically it's not a concern but something to think about. It's more about it happening on a regular basis. So uh, especially for, not necessarily for domesticated cats, whose most of their diet is from food we give them, but for wild cats like bobcats and mountain lions, who actually can start to get sick because all of their diet is from basically rodents or other small animals. And if they are getting a lot of poison and oh, like sure. say... you. Say you have a bobcat or a mountain lion who mostly subsists on some of these rodents and these rodents are getting a, a lot of poison, then they start, it's not necessarily enough to kill them. It just, it will make them sick. It'll compromise their immune system. So they start getting sort of like, one of the signs is like their coats start to get mange because they have, their immune system is like being weakened by the, the um, these poisoned rats and other rodents. Mm. And so it's harder for them to fight off the mange. So it's not as much, like you said, it's probably not as much of a problem for domesticated cats, but for these wild cats where all of their diet is is rodents and little animals they find. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of wild cats. The domestic cats, yeah, usually one rat is like not enough, but no. I guess if they're eating them all the time and, and then there there are other kinds of rat poison, most of them are illegal here, but doesn't mean people don't use them. So. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Just putting out cocaine Just for like, your rats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's bad stuff. Bad, bad. I mean, they're all bad, but yeah. 
These rats are breaking bad. Yeah. <laughs> Meth rat. <laughs> so basically, these cats were coming to human farms and eating the rats. And a lot of these cats reached old age. So they found that the teeth of these cats that signified that they were actually quite old, which meant that they were doing very well around these farms. And farmers weren't like shooing them away or killing them. They were keeping the cats around. And it's thought that humans and cats just were like, okay, you want to come eat these rats? That's cool with me. Like, I'll put out a plate of milk for you. You're great. Mm -hmm. And the cats are like, hey, this is great. Like, I like eating rats. And we just, it worked out for both of us. And cats are actually pretty unique amongst pets and domesticated animals in that their DNA has barely changed from their wild cat ancestors. So domesticated animals actually often show physical signs of domestication. So like the cute little ear folds that we see on dogs and their smaller teeth is because we've, when you're domesticating them, you're selecting for these behavioral traits like less aggression, but at the same time, less timidity. So the animal will approach you, but not bite you essentially. And that is linked to the adrenal gland development in vitro, which just happens to also be tied to Thing, physical traits like ear cartilage, coat coloring, teeth size. So it's like you will, that's why both a goat and a pig and a dog will have these floppy ears and, and like little spots. It's really interesting. But cats don't have that because they're feral little creatures. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
I don't like to have to keep talking about COVID, but I think it's an important thing. And I, I think it's something where it's been going on for such a long time that people are starting to get tired and fatigued, but then they're starting to think like, oh, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And like, but it hasn't like, it hasn't gone away. So I, I do want to talk about, we had previously talked a little bit about uh, zoonotic diseases. This virus actually, it, it comes from animals, it's spread from animals to humans, and it actually can spread from humans to uh, animals again, like to cats, which we talked about last time. But I wanted to get really into some more depth about it and how this virus works, how it's able to go from animal to human and human to animal, and what are like why we should be concerned about it, and then other things. Uh, other times where people may kind of want to panic, but we shouldn't panic. So I know this is very personal for you guys because you have actually been impacted by COVID in your own life. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's a really good thing to start off with because just like you said, people are getting anxious, people are getting antsy and sort of feeling like, oh, maybe we're at a little bit of a lull, but we're, we're really not. I mean, until I can tell you, until we have a vaccine or we have clear antibody testing, I'm not sure how comfortable I will be. I mean, obviously it, you, we go by the numbers and stuff, but I have been personally impacted and I'm happy to talk to anybody else who's either been impacted personally or, um, or isn't sure because I will send you a picture of my father on the ventilator, I mean, or my mother. So basically on March 24th, both of my parents were hospitalized for COVID-19 and they both had severe bilateral pneumonia. My, um, it started actually with GI, mostly GI signs. So they had like vomiting, diarrhea and, and low grade fevers. And they didn't, they never had any shortness of breath until my father went into a crisis when the third ambulance arrived. We actually had to call three ambulances because the first two wouldn't take them because that's what this virus does. You, you look okay. You look okay until boom, you don't, you have what's called crazy. this yeah. cytokine storm. Um, right. Oh, there's also something called happy hypoxia now, which is basically where people will have very low blood oxygen saturation levels where you're not oxygenating your blood well, but you don't feel it. You feel fine. And normally these are people who would not be able to function. Um, and so there's been some debate about how to treat them, um, for example, with like high, high levels of oxygen without putting them on a ventilator. Um, so on March 24th though, when the third ambulance got there, all of a sudden my father goes, I can't breathe. And he had never complained about breathing before. And he was immediately taken, um, to the emergency room and intubated and, and put on a ventilator. Um, my mom was hospitalized also with double, with bilateral pneumonia, but at that time she was, they were trying to treat her with oxygen and antibiotics. And, um, at that time they had treated them with the hydroxychloroquine that at that time they Remdesivir, they were really one of the first ones. So remdesivir was not available to them. COVID plasma was not available to them. Um, and so my mom had started that. And what's so scary is that this disease just takes so long to really run its course. And so my mother was in the ICU and then she got out of the ICU for like literally 12 hours. And then she was back in the ICU um, because she was breathing at 40 breaths per minute. A normal human respiratory rate is somewhere between like 12 to 20 breaths per minute. And at 40 mm -hmm. breaths per minute, I mean, 
you you can try it. Try breathing at 40 breaths per minute. It's not sustainable or compatible with life. Um, and so and that's that's a sign of you're desperately trying to get oxygen in, but you can't actually get enough oxygen in with each breath, right? Exactly, exactly. And so your pulse ox, your blood oxygen saturation level is going to be yeah. really low. I was going to say you should explain the pulse ox because getting yeah. that was what made you realize that it was time to go to the hospital. Well, that was one of the things. So what they ha- I had a nurse that was here caring for them when they were just having the GI signs and every all of us just thought this was like a bad, you know, GI like upset or uh, they ate something bad or something like that because it was so early and everybody kept saying stay out of the hospital. And But I asked the nurse at that time, we were just starting to learn that there were GI signs associated with COVID. And I said, well, you know, can you grab a pulse oximeter from one of the drugstores? So a pulse oximeter is like a little device that usually you put on your finger and it's got a little red light and it, and it measures how much oxygen is in your bloodstream, essentially. And that should be somewhere between 95 to 100% is what's considered basically normal. Um, anything below 94, you start to kind of get concerned and they, the nurse took it and it was low, but the thing is they were totally fine. They were not complaining of shortness of breath. So I was like, Oh, you know, can we trust this pulse ox? I don't know. We just, we didn't know at the time we had no idea about the happy hypoxia. But at the time that my mom started breathing at 40 breaths per minute, she was also like paying bills. Like she was like, I feel fine. Like she was fighting being intubated and ventilated. Yeah. She was Um, starting rumors about her own release. (laughs) <laughs> like she was, she was a troublemaker the whole time she was in the hospital. Like, yeah, I'm going home tomorrow. Like you're breathing at 40 times a minute. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pulse ox, it's like $40 and it is apparently the best way from home. Like just as, as much as your temperature to know if it's time to go to the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I would definitely recommend everybody having a pulse ox. Yep. You can get it usually like even in like grocery stores will often have it in like their drugstore section. Um, Amazon, I think a lot of them are sold out now, but they're starting to come back or they may just take a little longer to get to you. But if you can find a pulse ox, I would strongly recommend it. But that's where she wasn't happy hypoxemic anymore because she was breathing at 40 breaths per minute, which is not sustainable. Do we have any theories on how you're having the hypoxia and not having any physical or are, are people having cognitive symptoms? Because usually with uh, hypoxia, you, you, your cognitive functioning is, suffers. But like, is it, it, how is it such a, I guess, invisible uh, condition? Yeah, it's crazy. We know yet? I, I actually am not really sure if we know the mechanism and, and it's very rare. Apparently it does happen rarely in other diseases. But I mean, this is what was so shocking because I was like, there's no way that, you know, my dad could have a pulse ox of 87 and be, you know, not complaining of shortness of breath or not having any coughing or breathing difficulty or cognitive impairment or anything else like that. When you talk about cognitive impairment in COVID, I mean, so we know now that COVID can cause all kinds of weird clotting abnormalities. So strokes or sudden strokes yeah. are certainly one of the things that they see as well. But thank God that didn't that didn't happen in my parents. But I don't think we really know the mechanism by which, and I, I'm not sure, I mean, I could be wrong, but by why people have such low blood oxygen levels but um, feel just fine or breathe at a normal breathing rate. And that's the right. hi- happy hypoxia where they look totally normal. They feel fine yep. in the moment, but then that can lead to a sudden crisis. So Absolutely. it's not not that like you can f- continue functioning with hypoxia and be okay. Like yep. you will eventually have a, a yep. crisis where you need to be hospitalized. Yeah. I think what they find also with the happy hypoxia is that they mostly are able to breathe through like other areas of their lungs that are not um, affected. But but we but that's 
We don't really know why. So yes, and then all of a sudden you can have what's called the cytokine storm. Cytokines are inflammatory mediators that are part of your immune system. But what happens is when you have this massive inflammatory response, it's actually your body's response to the virus rather than the virus itself at that point that is causing all that harm um, to your lungs and causing this bilateral pneumonia and just like fluid and pus and infection um, and inflammation to fill up your lungs and then lungs become fibrotic, which is basically like scar tissue. Um, So it's really hard to breathe through. So uh, my dad was on the ventilator for 20 days. So he was actually intubated all 20 days, which is highly, highly unusual. Uh, My mom was on the ventilator for nine days. Yeah, it was the most excruciating time of my life for sure. I just all of a sudden felt like I had no parents. And I mean, they they run a business together. And um, yeah, it was was really excruciating. But what Lisa did and what she mobilized with her network of, of friends and doctors that are experts, but like... You know, she knew everything about the vent or learned everything about the ventilator from a veterinarian. And like, you know, it was, she, she just remained a step ahead of the doctors and was staying on top of them in a way that like, you know, for me, it was just nothing but a powerless situation. And, um, she had the ability to talk to them, you know, in the language of medicine that, um, I mean, part of it was probably driving herself crazy because she knew so much about it, but yeah. like it was, it was able to make recommendations and to really know where they were at all times that like, it just made me feel all the more for people whose family is in this situation and doesn't have that resource, you know? And, and I actually had a friend, I actually had a friend who's, who, who lost his father to it, but like Lisa was, yeah. uh, amazing in in shepherding them through the process also. Yeah, I think that's one of the scary things about this is that because it's not we don't fully understand it, it's you kind of have to be your own advocate if you or someone you love mm-hmm. is showing symptoms of it because especially in areas where hospitals are overwhelmed, you may not get attention right away because like there's this effort to like okay we need to kind of triage like who you know we're we're giving aid to so and and, like unless you really know like what is happening it's hard to necessarily say like oh well you know I I have I have hypoxia but the walking kind of hypoxia like you're not you're not going to know that as someone who who has it directly so yeah, it's, it's really uh, right. It's or really to be in scary. this situation because it happens so because the crisis happens so quickly, which right. is, I think, was the difference between. I mean, I guess my mom was always a little bit more stable than my dad. And for some reason, they're finding it affects men more than women. But um, but my mom was in the place where they said, you know, OK, it's time to intubate you. Let's do this before it gets to be an ultimate crisis. Like you're in crisis now. You cannot sustain like this, but let's right. intubate and ventilate you before it becomes an absolute crisis. And yeah. so that's why, you know, she was on the ventilator for nine days and he was on for 20. And so, for being yeah. as unlucky as humanly possible that both of her parents were on the ventilator, it is miraculous that they both got off you know yeah. knowing what we know yeah. and what the, the survivability rates are it's it's really crazy yeah so so thank god um right now my mom is my mom i picked her up from the hospital and she came home and she recovered um she's pretty she's recovering still but she's i'm um, pre- recovering pretty uneventfully she had like a little bit of mild vertigo but um 
you know, took a while. She's still a little tired, but she's doing all the right things. She's eating. She's sleeping. She's playing cards online now with her friends. Uh, that's the other question is a lot of people ask me how I thought that they got it. Um, and we're pretty confident that they got it from playing cards in their community. Mm. Somebody that she played cards with did test positive which is why I can't yeah. emphasize how important testing is because if I knew that she had been playing cards with somebody who had tested positive, I would have sent her to the hospital a lot sooner. And um, that day that she came into contact with it, I very strangely wound up here. I was doing shows down here in Miami and uh, against Lisa's doctor's orders, her mom snuck a Jewish mom kiss in on my head. <laughs> The day that she contracted it. So <laughs> I literally said to them, I was like, you guys, st I was, I was mad at Richie for coming. And I was like, you guys stay away from each other. Don't touch each other. Like really. And yeah. so, and I couldn't I, kick your mom said, away. He said, so. your mom kissed me on the head. And she said it to me too. She was like, I kissed Richie on the head. I was like, oh, okay. Ugh, whatever. So, but he didn't get infected. And that's also the other yeah. incredible thing is, or he's this asymptomatic carrier. We will not, we don't know right now. Um, but so my mom is home. My dad, after 40 days in the hospital, um, was transferred to a really intense rehab where he's learning to walk again and swallow. Be like yeah. Stuff yeah, he that I never eat. would have thought of. Yeah, he had a relate. stomach. I, yeah, I think that's something that people may not realize is it's not some it's not and I, I hate to put it this way, but it's like it's not a binary where you live or you die. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, totally. And I because I think that it when you don't when you don't see like this is something that not only is the recovery and I'm so sorry that your dad is going through yeah, this thanks. and that your mom had to go through this but the recovery can be very long very Absolutely. difficult and it's not it's it's it can also have like these really long-term effects for some people so it's not something where it's like oh well only occasionally you, you either survive or or you die and then it's only very rare that someone um dies from it. it's like well no you know first yeah. of all oh, yeah. people are dying from it but also it if you survive that's not that's not like a walk in the park that is it oh, that yeah. can be extremely difficult no excruciating yeah that, and really hard yeah i mean we were i was always told like you know your dad's going to rehab now the hard part starts you know so mm -hmm. i mean i'm i'm happy to so basically like he couldn't he couldn't pee on his own because when you have a urinary catheter in and you get so weak, he was 113 pounds. I mean, he lost so oh much weight God. from being so critical. And so to urinary catheter in when you're when that happens, your bladder just sort of goes to sleep and is like, okay, I don't need to work on my own, plus right. all the weakness and the decimation. So for a month, over a month probably, he couldn't urinate on his own. So he had an indwelling catheter, like a catheter that just stayed put. And then when they tried to remove that he couldn't urinate on his own. And so he was being, he had a urinary catheter for f every four hours. He had to be catheterized. So, I mean, just disrupts your sleep cycle, your healing cycle. So yeah. every four hours he was being catheterized. Now he's peeing on his own, which is amazing, which we're so happy about. Um, but he also had a grade three bed sore, which is like excruciating. And then you have, he couldn't move himself. So he had to be turned every two hours. Now he can move himself, thank God. And his bed sore is healing um, just miraculously quickly. Um, and then... Um, you know, he was golfing the best, he wasn't, he it was a very active guy. He was golfing the best golf games of his life. And now he can't, right. he can barely, he, I mean, he just took a hundred steps for the first time, you know, on his own. So it's definitely going to be life changing, but you know, nothing is, he's had multiple CTs, MRIs. Thank God he hasn't had any strokes or any of those vascular anomalies or anything else like that. He is a complete, he's set, he turned 73 years old, um, like a couple of days after he was discharged to rehab, which was amazing. 
Um, if I could uh, put in a very shameless plug that <laughs> if anybody is in the mood for a good happy cry, um, just <laughs> so coincidentally, we happen to be recording and uh talking about it for the first time on our podcast uh, about because there was like two weeks where they were they were vented and we just weren't talking about it so probably not our I best couldn't. podcast yeah but uh, <laughs> and during this episode with marking our territory her mom called and lisa was able able to talk to her for the first time in like 10 days after she was extubated she actually called in the middle wow. of the podcast after she got off the vent yeah. and yeah whew, i mean that was a moment yeah man, that was cause like we they just like know, happened to catch know. that on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you don't know if you're getting. I mean, I, w- I would, I would definitely cry if I listened to that. Oh <laughs> I yeah, will cry. And yeah. I have, I'm happy to send anybody the videos too. I took video when my dad, because you know we couldn't see him either. I couldn't be there yeah. or see him. No, that's one of the worst parts. I yeah. mean, it's like I don't want to say it's the worst part because everything yes, is the worst everything part. Everything is the worst part. Everything's the worst, but it it is just such a, it's like such a awful thing that you can't. You yeah. can't be with them because it it is a virus and you yeah. you yeah I just infected. I knew if yeah. right and I knew that as hard as it was that if I <sighs> went there and I got infected who would advocate who would do all the things that I was right. doing and making sure that you know all of that was happening um, yeah I think it's important and it's not not just to like I don't want to just like scare people or terrify people but like maybe a little bit just a little more awareness that this is still going on oh yeah and it's the virus didn't just like get bored and go away like after you know because we don't have we we have like there there's been some progress made on more ppe like some progress made on increasing hospital capacity but there's we have really kind of wasted a lot of time not like we haven't really gotten like contact tracing down we don't have uh that like we haven't really improved therapies that much like treatments that much and we certainly are not close to a vaccine yet like that is going to take until at least 2021 yeah so it's i I think yeah it it is i am concerned that i totally understand the fatigue i'm feeling it i miss people so much right now I, i i like want nothing more than to like see my friends and family and hug them but it it's still impacting people it is you know like and like think about you know i'm so sorry that you guys have had to go through this but i'm so happy to hear that your parents are recovering it's a miracle but yeah thank god like your parents had access to ventilators and that went through my mind when we were when the doctor was saying like let's get her on a ventilator was like oh well if we don't do it today then we might not she might not have one tomorrow yeah call like, dibs so that was on another that thing like that's so was so unbelievably scary um yes yeah. so yeah it's still very real and we still have absolutely no good solutions to treatment to tracking to um vaccines to tracing <laughs> i mean we have we're really I think in no better position than we were um, a month ago. Right. Not yeah. much. Not it's, really. It's just abstract until it's on your doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think it's important to hear that. It's important to hear these stories because when you go outside, just wear a mask. It's such a simple thing to do and it protects other people. It's not a replacement for social distancing, but certainly it helps. I feel like your listeners are pretty smart and might be doing yes. that. Is there any way we can hijack like Alex Jones's feed? 
and get this message yeah. out there. <laughs> I think my listeners are a really wonderful bunch. So I, I hope I don't come across as like I'm lecturing you guys. But I, I think it, like it is good for those of you out there who are like talking to people and trying to get people you know to understand like if you want to share this story yeah. it's like so that you have like look this is what is happening it's not abstract another thing i i wanted to talk about is uh, there's a lot of confusion and misinformation about coronavirus and pets and animals and lisa you are uh, not only a veterinarian, but you you have you actually studied viruses, right? Um, I actually studied coronavirus in veterinary school. Wow. I my my research in veterinary school was coronavirus as uh, sorry was avian coronavirus as a model for SARS in people, and SARS is also another one of those corona respiratory coronaviruses in people that we had that outbreak of. I think though that affected like. I mean, not even, was it 8,000 people, 800 people? I think it was 800 people actually. Yeah. Um, and now we've just infected over, uh, over 100,000 have died from coronavirus right. as of, you know, yesterday. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so that was my research was all about coronaviruses and, and every species has their own. Um, and it can manifest differently in, uh, avians or birds with what I was working with. It was a respiratory virus, which is why we used it as a model for SARS and people in cats. Coronavirus can mutate and turn into actually another pretty deadly, uh, like GI or systemic disease. Um, and in dogs also, it can be like a mild GI or respiratory disease as well, but usually it's mild and we don't even worry about it. So, and you know, coronavirus is also responsible for most of the colds that we have. There's just so many different versions uh, of it. So, um, each coronavirus is almost like a different virus, really. I have a question that I never thought of. Has there ever been like an epidemic that specifically hit like dogs and cats and um, there, there are, usually we tend to think about that in terms of like our production animals. So food animals. So, um, there are like food animal viruses that can spread throughout. So one of the concerns, one of the big concerns actually is that pigs, um, have the same receptors that we do these ACE2 receptors, which I think we're going to get there probably. Um, but, but pigs, if pigs were to get infected with the SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus, the COVID-19 that we're seeing now, that would be devastating economically and obviously to our food chain supply. And th those would be are the most devastating types of viruses. But yeah, so, there are. So mm -hmm. just so just so people yeah. know, so like when you have for a lot of viruses, the reason a virus isn't just like universal. So like a, a virus that a uh, say like a deer can get isn't necessarily one that a human can get is because viruses have these surface proteins that bind to surface receptors on your cells. And that basically is like a key that gets them access to your cell. So like sometimes the virus surface receptors can mutate to be able to fit uh, onto surface receptors of a different species of animal. But in this case, we actually share the same receptors, right? With yep. the, and it's called the um, ACE receptor, right? Yep, the ACE2 receptor, yep. Yeah. So we have, basically we have the same shape lock on the surface of our cells and this, like the specific surface receptor the SARS-CoV-2 is not new. It, it's evolved. It's um, It's been in, like I said, bats and pangolins. And then you have this, 
what's called spillover, which is where the virus mutates from them, where they may not necessarily even become sick from it, and then um, infects us. And um, and that happens again because of the that like lock and key combo that you were talking about. Right. Um, but so yeah, the bottom line is we're, nobody is really sure still where, I mean, right. it, some people had theorized it was from the meat markets in China. Um, obviously we know it originated there, um, but because pangolin is such a delicacy uh, in China, that's that was one thought. So we do know that this version of coronavirus can go from a human to a feline. So we know that the tigers at the Bronx Zoo got it from a zookeeper that actually uh, had uh, coronavirus. And we're, there's evidence that also like house cats can get it. So and that in this case, it's not that the virus is necessarily mutating to be able to infect the cats. It's that we share the same receptor, right? Yep. So we've we've known since, you know, we've known for a little while that cats uh, ferrets or minks, uh, which are part of the same family, um, pigs and non-human primates have a high density of these ACE2 receptors. Um, and so, but there have been reports of dogs being infected as well, but cats especially and ferrets and pigs are the ones we're definitely the most concerned about having the same receptors where, um, these viruses will attach their little surface proteins to the cells of the ACE2 membrane and then inject their genetic material, which is, ba I mean, basically all viruses are, are their little parasitic packages of DNA mm -hmm. or RNA. Um, coronavirus happens to be an RNA. The problem with the RNA virus is that it, they're constantly mutating and changing or making mistakes in their, um, their, their sequence. And so that's what makes it so hard to actually make a vaccine against. Um, but anyway, so what happens is, yeah, they attach to these uh, ACE2 receptors and then um, they inject their DNA or their RNA, their little genetic material, and then tells the cell to make more virus. And that's where you get replication and that's where you become infectious right. and that's where you get disease. So yeah, so those right. animals for sure um, we've been concerned about. Although even a few dogs who, who we know have the ACE2 receptors, but lower level have been infected as well. So Right. So, and it's just, it's kind of like a, a game of chance where if you have a bunch of ACE receptors, you're more likely to yes. get the virus because it has basically, it's like this little, th this little thing that has like a little key and it's trying all the locks. Mm -hmm. And like, if you have a bunch of the locks that's compatible with this, the proteins that are on the, uh, on the virus, then you're more likely to get infected. For sure. You two but. are doing a great job of describing this because so far I'm following okay. and I got nothing on this. So I, I'm your, your barometer for coronavirus for dummies. Keep it up. We can <laughs> write that book. Thank great. you. Can we write that book together? <laughs> By the time it comes coronavirus out. Coronavirus for dummies. Been, yeah, yeah. co-author that book. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think, and then a natural question that I think a lot of people have is, well, then I could get coronavirus from like a cat. And I think this is a question that deserves a lot of nuance because I certainly don't want people to panic and like get rid of their cat. I don't think I don't think any of my listeners would do that. I think all of my listeners are like, I ride or die with my cat. But <laughs> you know, I, I think that there is it's one of those things where we want to understand we want to understand it fully so that we can be careful and cautious, but not give in to like panic and fear. The CDC has been saying for a really long time that 
there has been no evidence of animal to human transition. Um, there have been since very recently very questionable reports of um, mink farms, farmers getting it from minks on their farm in Netherlands. Now, again, like I said, these are questionable reports. It's really hard right. to know what you Such have to do. Such a good is, group of people, too. Yeah, yeah, mink farmers. Yeah. You do have to sequence the virus from the animal and the human and see if it's like the same exact sequence. It's really hard to know to say if that's actually what happened or not. That's the only reports I've seen of potential human to animal transition tra transmission. Um, but even though the CDC says that there is no um, evidence of that happening, doesn't mean that it can't happen so far though. We haven't seen it. Um, but one of the biggest things is, and where I don't, we don't want people to panic is obviously like it's been a very popular time for people to be adopting animals because we're home and they're fostering right. and they're adopting. Um, and the best guidance I think I can give is there's a blog I really love called Worms and Germs Blog. Um, it's by a, a public health veterinarian in Canada. And um, he did a whole post about this actually where he said, you know, should I – he's getting the same questions. People saying, should I be nervous about adopting cats, you know, from – uh, from a shelter. And the answer is he wasn't worried about it. He actually just got himself a kitten from a shelter. <laughs> um, and so the, the risk is extremely, extremely, extremely low. There is never no risk. Again, there's been no case reports that I am aware of today and things always change. But as of today, there are no case reports that I am aware of that say that cats or dogs have transmitted it to humans. Um, you know, it, it's really just about using good hygiene and, um, right. as long as the shelter or wherever you get your pet from is using good hygiene, washing hands, making sure that they don't kiss you, especially if you feel sick. The people who work at the vet kissing you or the cat kissing you? Um, well, both. I mean, you don't want like mouth to mouth contact because the respite, because right. the virus is spread through respiratory secretions. If they're going to get it, that's how they're going to. So that's like, for example, what Richie was referring to when we when I got my mother out of the hospital, we still quarantined her for, we isolated from her for two weeks. I would just bring her meals and like a mask and gloves. Um, but I knew even though there was, and at the time, even less evidence that dogs could get it. I knew that like, I didn't want Chloe licking my mom. If she saw my mom, she'd probably lick her and then she'd lick my face. And if that's, if there's going to be any transmission there, even though it's so low level, I just didn't, why take that chance? So as long as the shelter is using proper hygiene and precautions, kind of just like at the grocery store, then the 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 level the the transmission is so 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 low. And if Dr. Scott Weiss can do it, certainly anybody can do it. So definitely reading his blog is a great take on that, and so up to date and conversational. So um, so yeah, yeah, so the so, risk is so 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 low. Yeah, so that's good news for everyone considering adopting an animal. I think, but. Yeah, I mean, just like, I guess, use common sense in the same way that you when you go get groceries, like you're exposing yourself to a, a new environment, which means like an environment that could have had contact with the virus and then just use, you know, like kind of, I don't mean, don't spray your cat down with like alcohol right. or anything, right. hand sanitizer. But yeah, I mean, maybe like one thing you could do is just maybe don't give your new pet like mouth kisses for the first like week or two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and just make sure that before and after you have co you have contact with them, you just wash your hands and use good hygiene, yeah. and um, that should be it. And yeah, you know, what exactly. if Instacart started delivering delivering cats? Also, Instacat. Instacat. <laughs> yeah. I'll set them up. You knock them down. Come on, Instacat. <laughs> just getting kittens sight unseen dropped off at your and door. I guess 
push the button. <laughs> I guess a related question would be, so if you're already a pet owner, how can you protect your pets and yourself from coronavirus? So like I have a dog and how I've been thinking about it is my dog is like another roommate who makes me scratch her butt. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I, I I mean, I think looking at them as another roommate is an incredible way to do it because you're the, the same rules apply as socially distancing. So, you know, not letting your pets right now, if you if you don't know that the other pet is healthy or that they live in a healthy household, just dis- social distancing six feet from uh, other people and other pets and uh, making sure you wash your hands before and after you touch them, you know, not letting random pets kiss your face or kiss your, your pet. And then the other thing you can do is also um, you can wipe them down just like with a wet cloth or there are like doggy wipes. So don't use hand, don't use hand sanitizer. Don't use hand sanitizer. <laughs> probably one, my hand sanitizer is mostly alcohol, like probably one, you know, it won't kill a pet, but obviously no deterrent, no, no, skin no Clorox wipes, though. no, yeah, skin yeah. irritation. It's not what you want to do. And obviously we have to keep no. them clean all and the time. Because they lick their, they lick yeah. their fur too. So yeah. anything you put on their fur, they're probably yeah. going to get in their mouth. It's definitely not so what I would re- recommend at all, for sure. But um, they, the coronavirus is very, the one good thing about coronavirus is it actually is pretty easy to kill in the environment. It has this lipid layer that is affected by, that's why alcohol works. It breaks up its lipid layer and, 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 puts pokes holes soap in it. Soap too, right? Yeah. And so, so that's what I was going to say. So soap, um, even like Dawn dish detergent is great. Like I will, you, what you can do, I mean, Dawn dish detergent is very safe. We use it a lot in like enemas even like, um, it's very, every very Every time safe. Dawn gets mentioned in our household. <laughs> you think of it as an enema? No, you remind <laughs> me that yeah, it gets we, blasted we into cat's butt. Yeah. Yeah. You're just doing <laughs> dishes and she's yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, that's used in enemas, right? Yeah. So like, yes, Lisa. So, <laughs> So not that you need to do it, I do think, um, but like Chloe rolls in like goose poop every once in a while. And if I can't, if I don't have time to get her in a bath, I will take like some wet paper towel and and wet it down with some Dawn dish detergent and just like wipe her fur down and just wipe her down because it's so safe. And if it little stays on there, that's just fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, the you detergents kind of do like, break it up. And you water it down with a little bit of water, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's yeah. because of the poop, not coronavirus. So one of one of uh, <laughs> for the record, we don't yeah. think there's virus on the poop. Uh, it's just poop. A veterinarian I knew actually, a mobile, a house call veterinarian I knew actually was making um, like packs because she couldn't find hand sanitizer. She was actually creating these little hand, I mean, essentially hand sanitizing packs with she in a Ziploc bag. She would take like squares of wet paper towel and put in like a little Dawn dish detergent and then in between uh, whatever she needed when she felt like she needed to clean her hands she would wipe wipe with that Dawn dish detergent. That's and a so, great idea. Yeah, it's a it's a really it is really susceptible to detergents and um, and soap. So it's another yeah, really great idea. Yep. Yeah. So that is safe if you do want to give your pets a bath, but any bath, any anything should, should yeah. help. Just wiping them down should help. So yeah. Like the general rule is just everybody is made out of poison. So <laughs> touch anybody, wash it off. Yeah. It's <laughs> danger, danger. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, 
It's got standard third row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So, yeah, we were just talking about staying safe from coronavirus and how we can stay safe, how we can keep our pets safe and like keep everybody safe. Uh, But also just like how to because during lockdown, it's not just necessarily coronavirus that we have to worry about. It's the change to our lives and our pets lives and how it's affecting us mentally and physically. So I wanted to ask you a few questions, Lisa, as a vet about what this means for caring for our pets. So I think one thing that people may be wondering is like, can I still take my pet to the vet? So like under what circumstances should I go take my pet to the vet? Can I still do it? And what is your advice as a veterinarian? Yeah, that's a really good question as far as specifically going to the veterinarian. So know that your veterinarian's protocols have probably changed. Um, Most veterinarians that I know are now um, taking pets outside of the building, not allowing out owners to come in, just like a human hospital. Um, So they take their pet from outside the door, you fill out a form or you do a triage or you call ahead and see what your veterinarian's protocols are. Usually a technician will take the animal inside and then a veterinarian will call you or FaceTime you while they're with your pet so you can still be a part of the exam and everything and know what's going on and stuff like that. Obviously, you you don't want to go for just anything right now. You know, I I am an advocate of like, you know, if it's something that can be put off, it, it may be worth putting off. There are a lot of uh, telehealth services that are popping up now. I'm actually doing telehealth myself um, on my website, vetsinthecity.com. So Good I've got plug. a yeah, it, I've got a telehealth <laughs> service where people want to know: is this an emergency? Is this not an emergency? And that's really right. um, the the biggest thing um, that that people want to know right now, especially in a time yeah. where they may not want to leave their house. Call first and, yep. and find out. Yep. Like your, but vet, and I will tell will you tell you whether you need to come in. 
most veterinarians that I know are so unbelievably busy. They're totally unsung heroes. Obviously, I'm not doing it. I'm here taking care of my parents, but they are completely unsung heroes to me because... Oh, just they... just at home taking care of your yeah, parents, really. Yeah. That's all you're doing. <laughs> I will help you triage though, but... Um, <laughs> But they're so busy right now because so number one, so many people are getting pets and then they're just home all day staring at them. So I think that, you know, they see things and they're able to catch <laughs> things. And um, but there The longer is, you stare at your yeah. dog, the sicker it's going to get. Yeah. I mean, there is some <laughs> there is some phenomenon happening now because I cannot tell you how busy all of my friends are in veterinary practices. So it's always good to call ahead and see what your particular veterinarian's protocol is. Um, and how that will be. But veterinarians are certainly considered essential workers and they are open now and, um, and working. So uh, you can take them. Mm -hmm. As an example, Cookie ate a muffin wrapper that was made out of paper. And I panicked for like 15 minutes. And then I checked out like, okay, is this actually an emergency? Do I have to take her in? And it turns out, as long as they are eating and pooping normally, paper is generally not too much of a problem so yeah that I was gonna, was, but that's that where you you could have come to me too and said you know i would have said like yeah, yeah as long as she's not vomiting and she continues to eat usually probably the paper she would digest and i would tell you that's I think not i did ask you i i did asked you because like i happened to be that I was when so. we were uh, recording the podcast yeah. and i was like <laughs> I was gonna say. like this is okay right yeah can i have a free consultation yeah. because that, I <laughs> anytime for you katie <laughs> that's also one of those questions that uh lisa will just refer to me on occasion just to see if i've been paying attention to her for the last five and a half years <laughs> but our, our podcast was born out of comedians calling me to ask lisa stupid questions mm. of like so i think i had three weed gummy bears and i can only find one uh can i talk to lisa <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're the fixer for people who need embarrassing pet questions yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and then we just put them on the air instead yeah <laughs> So another uh, question I have, this is actually for both of you, is right now it's like not only us that needs more stimulation, it's our dogs and cats, right? Because we can't take our dogs to the dog park. We, you know, there's a lot less social interaction with the dogs in their home with us a lot of the time. So like what, what are you guys doing to keep Chloe entertained and like to keep yourselves entertained as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. So one of the things that I actually did do, which nobody loved because I spent too much money on it, but I, I'm obsessed with her weight. And a lot of people talk about like the COVID-19, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's true for pets because it is hard to stimulate them. And it's so important that they're stimulated both mentally and physically, especially because like she's not seeing her doggy friends now and stuff. So I actually bought her a scale off Amazon because she's, so for most dogs, for small dogs like Cookie, you can just pick up you can get onto a human scale. You can hold her, get yeah. off, weigh yourself, and subtract. I find that actually. So she's a 72.8-pound <laughs> dog. And, and it's a 32-inch She is like really scale. long and really difficult to pick up. So mm-hmm. if for her, that was just not an option. I needed like a large dog scale. For most dogs, that's not the case. Most dogs will like tolerate being picked up. I or, don't even know. What was the... Um, what? what was the, the the final verdict? Did she gain weight or... No, she doesn't gain weight. Okay. No, she's been doing great. So you bought a $100 scale for a dog that didn't gain any weight? No, but I need it for the rest of her life. I'm very good, obsessed good, good. with weighing her. Um, <laughs> what if you got like a, you could get a harness and then like a luggage scale and then like 
hover her off the ground. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking just take her to the grocery store and put her in the produce mm, thing. Put her in one of those little baskets. Yeah, yeah. big saddle. <laughs> she would be cute there. Uh, but well, I, I think with Chloe in particular, uh, us being home all the time means she's awake way more than she's used to. And that in yeah. itself is kind of a form of stimulation. Um, but since we're, thank God, are out of the city and in the burbs, like we're just doing like short bursts and like getting her to sprint a little bit. That's mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. Well, we're lucky we have a like a backyard area, and that she is really good off leash. So we've been running around with her in the backyard, and then going for walks as well around. But I actually also just did a post on this on my Instagram, which I will plug now is Dr. Lisa Lipman. But I actually just did a whole post about um, mental and physical stimulation. So there are games you can play with your dog. Yeah. Um, there Poker. are. Yeah, you no. can you can try. <laughs> um, there are treat or food puzzles that they can eat out of, which makes mental stimulation so much more fun. Um, there's all kinds of training and tricks you can do with them. Uh, so yeah, there's lots of things you can do with them since you have the time in your home to um, keep them mentally and physically stimulated. And there's always dog TV. Oh, right. True. Big fan <laughs> of dog TV. Oh, and the other thing that I am doing is... Um, Shout we, out Ron at dog TV. Yeah. <laughs> we... <laughs> We have a whistle tracker too that tracks her. So she has a recommended amount of exercise based on her like breed mm. and weight. It's 36 minutes. Um, and like there was one minute that she got, we were both really busy and like she got eight minutes of exercise and we totally failed at parenting that day. Um, but every, Oh my God, yeah. how dare you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a sleepy day for all of us. Um, but It was also thunderstorms not nonstop all day. That's true. Yeah. That's true too. So that does make it hard. But if you really loved her, you, you would have taken You didn't take your dog out. out for exercise in a thunderstorm? Yeah, yeah. I, I blame I Lisa. I still have guilt about it, but it really does get you moving because it's like, oh, if she mm-hmm. needs like an extra five minutes of exercise, like we'll go out and get that extra five minutes. Minutes. So I really love the whistle tracker for for that that reason. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Cookie is uh, her own kind of self tracker because she has these little squeaky toys, and every time she requires attention or more exercise, she'll get one of her squeaky toys and squeak it and start whining in pitch with the squeaky toy, and then it just becomes this ever increasing amount of squeaking from the toy and from the dog. And we have to, it's, we don't have a choice. We have to pay attention and, and play with her. Okay. Going outside. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually some research and this is actually research that's been done on elderly and aging humans and dogs. But I think it actually applies a lot to lockdown right now because one of the problems with elderly dogs and humans is that we'd, don't get as much stimulation because of the reduced mobility and not being able to go out and do as many things anymore. So this, which is something like now, obviously very different from actually aging, but I think these findings can apply to our situation. And so, first of all, I think this is kind of neat because like there is some early evidence that therapy dogs may help patients who are living with dementia and this is like a difficult area to study because it is, there's a lot of like ethical concerns where when you have a therapy that seems to help people, like having a therapy dog and it seems to elevate their mood, it's really difficult to have a control group because then that means denying people essentially like a yeah. therapy dog right. and and having like a 
control condition in a controlled environment where you do that, it, it's, it's just difficult to do. So uh, this is some very like early research, but what we have found from it is it does seem to be a positive effect. So um, the limited data shows that therapy dogs seem to be associated with increased sociality, decreased stress and aggression, and decreased blood pressure in patients who are living with dementia. So I think that is really interesting that we, it's like we have such a long history with dogs and like now we're finding all of these medical therapies, like basically like that helps our cognitive health uh, w by interacting with dogs. And then vice versa, we can actually figure out novel ways to care for elderly dogs. So we are able to provide dogs longer and healthier lives with better nutrition and medical care. But then that means that as they get older, and their minds are still sharp, like we have to figure out how to care for them as they have reduced mobility. And there's like this new research, th th there's this really funny study that like, they made these like basically dog game consoles, like a dog arcade game. Wait, you were serious could... at the beginning when you said dog yes. arcades? Yeah, they yes. made it, they called it, they called it Dog Computer Interaction or DCI, but it's essentially Catchy. a dog arcade game. Yeah, And they, <laughs> they like touch, they have a touch screen that they can touch and like play these games and then get like a treat reward after playing this game. I, I think it's really funny that they're like looking into basically making like a dog Chuck E. Cheese, which <laughs> I would love to see. Um, but you don't really need an ar fancy arcade setup to enrich your dog. Like you were saying, Lisa, you, I, I think, uh, we'll probably link to that in the show notes that your post about like games you can play with your dog. And there's yeah. some research that shows that there's a lot of benefits to um, both like keeping your dog healthy physically and mentally. So yeah, what you were talking about, Katie, reminds me of I actually when Chloe was little, I used to play there's something called apps for cats. And it's basically just like a screen of yeah. they're like little bugs that pop up and they just and she used to try to go after them, you know, so um, that I mean, and that's sort of the concept of dog TV, too. And then the other thing I wanted to mention also was um, actually for they actually make this robotic dog for patients with Alzheimer's and dementia. It's like a high tech yeah. robotic dog. I think it's called the Tombot. But if you just type in like robotic dog for patients with Alzheimer's, they make it like it's a stuffed animal. So like they don't actually yeah. have to care for it, but it's so incredibly lifelike. And cats too. Gives like they have robotic cats. Oh, cool. That, yeah. Yeah. That uh, can really help too. So cool. if, if you're a uh, yeah, it is. It's really, it's really sweet. There are these videos of of elderly patients like petting these, mm -hmm. these little animatronic dogs and cats, <laughs> and it, it's just because you're older, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't still need all mental stimulation and physical contact, and yeah. uh, you know, being able to live a full life. In elderly dogs, there have been these research studies on cognitive decline and how there are ways to protect against cognitive decline with both a healthy diet and cognitive enrichment. So they measured, it's called a brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which it's basically like just like a protein that it both protects existing neurons and synapses and then also promotes the growth of new neurons and synapses. But declines in this protein is associated with neurodegeneration, so basically like cognitive decline or, or your brain health. So 
They found that enrichment exercises and a healthy diet rich in antioxidants, which, by the way, we actually just talked about last episode what antioxidants are. It's not just a buzzword, but with this healthy diet and then these cognitive exercises, they were able to keep that protective protein from decreasing in these elderly dogs. So some of the forms of enrichment that they did was housing animals in pairs. So having a dog that has a companion dog of its own, outdoor walks, and then cognitive tests and enrichment with training and rewards, like memorizing where treats are and then finding the treats and all sorts of games. And I'm sure, Lisa, you know lots of games that you can play with dogs that are fun and cognitively oh, yeah. enriching. Yeah, a few of them are on my last post for sure. But anything, anything even as simple as just like putting a treat under a cup, like three different cups and moving around yeah. the cups and making your dog like choose or play the shell game with your dog. The shell game? <laughs> yeah. We're, like, the yeah. shells or she using shells. Yep. Yeah. Um, any kind of scent work, right? And, and dogs yeah. don't innately know how to use their nose. Sometimes you have to show them or train them. But yeah, there's all kinds of simple games. Yep. And you can do the same thing for cat. There's actually been a lot of enrichment studies, especially on wild cats that are kept at zoos. So are you guys familiar with the black-footed cat, the little teeny tiny wild cat? I was afraid you weren't going to get to this. Uh, <laughs> I saw this at like 2.30 in the morning on Nat Geo Wild and stayed up the whole time. Because it, it, it I think they pitched it as uh, as like the world's most effective hunter? It's one of the deadliest cats in terms of the amount of prey per unit of time it is able to catch and successfully kill. Right. Yes. And, and But it looks like just a, an adorable tiny little house cat. Yes. But it's a... Tinier than a house cat. Yeah. But they're yeah. vicious wild animals. And, and yes, I, exactly. I also went on like... I went online looking them up and there's so many posts from people like, I have a black-footed, a black-footed cat and then there's a thousand people being like, no, you don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> you no. If you did, feet, it, would, it, would, it would scratch your face off. It, they, they are not tame. They do not. They're very, very shy and they can become very aggressive when they feel threatened. So... Uh, while they can't really do much damage to a human, they certainly would not make good pets. But they, one of the problems that they have in zoos is like being able to keep this extremely active cat enriched and, and entertained. So they did this study where they gave these black-footed cats aromatherapy, just cat aromatherapy. So they introduced odors to these cats such as nutmeg, catnip, and the body odor of prey. And they found that the cats absolutely loved it. It made them exercise more, this increase in activity. So the aromatherapy worked on these little murder cats, and it made them even more excited for murder. Murder cat <laughs> is a great name for them. That is awesome. <laughs> Adorable little murder cats. But for your, your domesticated cat, there are plenty of things you can do that are research-tested. Uh, they also, your cat likes aromatherapy too, especially in the form of catnip. And some of the things that you can provide easily for your cat to keep them enriched is uh, perches for jumping on comfortable areas. Also like giving them choices. So if you're going to switch their food or their litter, like if you are able to kind of like set up two litter boxes side by side and say like, okay, which litter do you like best? That choice and that like autonomy is really important to a cat. They love that. Usually we say one more litter box and you have cats. 
That's the, the general <laughs> rule that that to make cats happy. Yeah, if you yes. if you want to see a very uh, well an example of some very well stimulated cats are uh, Stevo from Jackass. His house is covered with these catwalks that are like up all around the ceiling, and so the the ultimate human daredevil has the ultimate human daredevil cats that they're like they never touch the ground. <laughs> they're just all over the ceiling at all times. Those have got to be happy cats. Yeah. And having, like, uh, safe havens, too, especially if you have, like, a house that has a lot of, like, other other critters running around, whether they're people or other animals, having little areas to, like, hide in, little nooks and crannies is really will help lower cats' stress level. Having puzzle toys and toys that help them express their predatory instincts, they are little murder machines, and one of the safe things for the environment that you can do and a healthy thing for your cat is to play with them and give them things to pretend to murder. <laughs> and uh, and then also, uh, they love to scratch things and that's very natural. You know, if your cat is scratching your couch and it's driving you crazy, try to get them something safe that they can scratch, like a scratching post or some scratchy cardboard. Although I know it is a struggle because I had a cat and we gave her every scratchy toy on the planet, but she loved the couch most of all. It was like the forbidden thing and she loved the forbidden the forbidden couch. Yeah, once they start, it's sort of hard once they start marking a territory. So I would say get those scratching posts from the day the stressing yes. posts from the day posts. that they yeah, those scratching yeah. posts is yeah. from the day that they come home um, and you can also like direct them towards it or put catnip on, on the scratching post actually to right. help direct them towards it there is something called the no bowl feeder for cats where they're actually like five to ten like little mice that are in the sh- like in little bowls and you put the food in there and instead of feeding them like out of a bowl you feed them in these little mice and then you put you hide them all over the house so that it actually uses their oh, instinct to seek and destroy. Yeah, because cats actually <laughs> do get, they eat small, they tend to eat smaller meals and get full quicker. And yeah. so it does really go to their instinct and keep them more yeah. mentally and physically happy. I so. just always worry about the idea of having the one that they missed just rotting in a corner somewhere. <laughs> For sure, know where you hide them. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this circles back to what we talked about in the beginning about how like domesticated dogs, like they've learned to become happy by being our companions. And cats, like, haven't really changed. They just, they're like, well, you you liked us because we're murder machines, so we're going to keep being little murder machines. So, you know, now that I can't get get real rats, like, you got to give them fake rats for them uh, to be happy. You change, not me, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining me, and especially for sharing your personal story. I think that's so important for people to hear. And I... I'm so sorry that you guys have gone through that, and I'm really glad to hear that your parents are making progress. Thank and you. Yeah, thank yeah. you so yeah, much. Thank for you so sharing. much. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you for having us. This was really yeah, fun. Yeah, super fun. Always fun talking with you, Katie. I just wish it was more informative. <laughs> <laughs> wish I learned more. Yeah. yeah uh, and you guys have a podcast, right? Yeah. Well, I know you do. I'm, yep. It's facetious. It's a facetious question because I know. Because <laughs> you were on it, on it and your episode was That's the best. True. Yeah, it was a great episode. Yeah. It's called We Don't Deserve Dogs. Yep. Available wherever you listen to things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and people, you can find more tips on animal enrichment from your Instagram, right? And yep. You uh, that? Just at Dr. Lisa Lippman, D-R-L-I-S-A. If you put that in, it usually comes up. But L-I-double-P is in Peter, M-A-N. 
Yeah, and you guys can follow me. Everything is at Richie Redding. And uh, next week, well, assuming this is coming out soon, uh, I have an album coming out. It'll be on pre-sale. I very modestly named it number one album of the year. And nice. uh, it was recorded on the last show before the coronavirus lockdown. It was March wow. 14th, 10 p.m. And you can find us on uh, Instagram at Creature Feature Pod and on Twitter at Creature Feet Pod. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That's something very different. Uh, and, you know, you can find me if you're interested in my Katie thoughts. I'm at Katie Golden. Uh, it's it's just it's it's random Katie thoughts, not necessarily show related. And you can also, as always, find me at ProBird Rights, where I try to get everyone to recognize our overlords should be birds. <laughs> and thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, go ahead and subscribe, download, press the stars, leave a rating. I really appreciate it. It really does help, and I read all of them. And I love you all so much. Uh, thank you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio website, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast. you guys. See you next Wednesday. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.